was here last week. Okay, good, good lot of you. Um, last week we started the new teaching series, a four-week teaching series um, entitled We Are The Church. And in it, uh, on last week, it was pretty much a foundational thing about what is the church. That was a subtitle for it. And I talked about uh, mainly two words that the Bible uses to talk about church or translates from uh, the original language into church. And that was uh, ecclesia or ecclesia or ecclesia, should I say, or ecclesia. Um, and cornonia as well, cornonia, um, two words that the Bible translated over the years have used to translate from Greek and Hebrew uh, into our English language, both try and translate church. Um, I also talked about the universal church, which is the church with the big C, the church all around the world, the church, if it's Sunday, where they're at, it's probably gathering together like we are, worshipping God together, listening to a word together. And I also talked about how important the local church is, and the local church is this expression, um, those who meet together in various different ways um, regularly um, to, to uh, pray together, to be taught, to uh, worship together. Um, so the two expressions, universal and local church. So do you remember that? Yes. Yeah, and you've got your little notice things. And if you missed that, just go, go on to myfreedom.church, click on the videos link, you can watch my lovely face again, or you can, you can listen to my, my, my dulcet tones, uh, and you can even download the PDF of the workbook that I did last week as well, so you can download that and fill that in. There is no excuse. So there is no excuse, absolutely. No excuse not to get part one into your head. It's about 35 minutes long, it's not a huge part of your life, um, but um, I enjoyed teaching it last week, and I hope you enjoyed receiving it, and uh, in your life groups you were able to discuss it. Um, okay, this week then we're on week two, obviously, because two generally follows one and comes before three. Um, I'm that clever. Uh, and um, this, is, this, is, this is, is, is going to be a deep one for me. Let me, just, let me start this off this week by saying my, my little phrase to, to back it up is that what exists in heaven is family. And the church should reflect this heavenly culture. Yeah, do you get that? What exists in heaven is family. And the church should reflect this heavenly culture. <clears throat> so, when I was, when I was young, I ha- younger, sorry, I know it's you laughing at me. When I was younger, then I had a lot younger, um, I had what I thought was a usual, ordinary childhood experience when it came to family. My first 10 years of life, or around about that anyway, was spent on a particularly quiet street in, in a place called Rothwell, which is uh, south of Leeds, and it had a dead end on it, did this street, and in fact that dead end was a, was a little roundabout, so you went down the street, you turned around and came back up again, in fact there was nothing I liked better than to, to, to pedal my bike up and down that street as fast as I possibly could, skid around that roundabout, and then back up to, to the busy end as quickly as I could, and my perception of cars as dangerous uh, was non-existent. Such was the rare occurrence of cars travelling at any great speed up and down that street anyway. And at the bottom of the street, just past the, 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 the roundabout and behind the houses, it backed onto a whole vista of, of fields, and it grew all sorts of stuff, such as rhubarb. Uh, Rothwell being part of that famous, if you know it, <laughs> rhubarb triangle. And rhubarb used to grow at the bottom of my granddad and grandma's house as well. It used to kind of come in from the field, so they got free rhubarb. I think rhubarb's disgusting, by the way, but um, maybe you might like it. There you go. Anyway, (laughs) 
so I grew rhubarb and there, there were fields for horses and, and different things and whatnot. It was a whole load of fields. And um, there was a long dirt path along those fields. And it either went one way to the John O'Gaunt area of Rothwell. John O'Gaunt being somebody in ages past apparently killed the last wild boar in England. Yay. Well done, John. And, <laughs> and more importantly, to, to the other side, like the other way, it led up to my cousin's house. And being the youngest boy with two older sisters, uh, um, there was nothing better I liked than going to my cousin's house, my two male cousins, uh, and messing about. We used to make dens along that dirt path. There were some kind of trees and what have you. We used to enjoy pushing each other into nettle bushes and seeing how we could handle it. Um, or climbing, climbing really dangerously down a, a small but very deep quarry that was at the end of this kind of dirt path and fields. Something I would never let my kids go 100 yards to... <laughs> But I used to happily clamber up and down with this pool at the bottom that was a strange fluorescent blue. You know, it was <laughs> weird. And I didn't spend a lot of my time indoors, actually, as, as a kid. Uh, and Noah, who's my, my oldest boy, he'd probably be quite surprised to hear that. Um, but actually, I do see a lot of myself in him when, when I was his age. <clears throat> but here's the rub. I can't really remember what my family life was like. I can remember big moments. I can remember, um, can remember going around at Christmas Day to my grandma and granddad's house. And, and then on Boxing Day, we would always go around to my nana's house. My granddad on that side, having died a long time ago, go around to my nana's house on Boxing Day, and we'd be surrounded by relatives that I only saw once a year. So you'd spend half the day reminding them who you are and vice versa. Um, I loved that. I loved going around to my nana's house because she used to, she's proper, she was proper Yorkshire. And I used to serve the Yorkshire pudding first with the mash. That's first. Not together, that's first. And then after you've eaten that, then you get your, your roast potatoes and your beef. More Yorkshire, more mash. It was, oh, it's gorgeous. Nobody has ever, and since, and I'm sorry, Cathy, has ever made roast potatoes as nice as she did. I don't know how, how she put it together. But the, there's detail. There's, there's big things like that that I can remember, but detail of my early life, my younger life, um, it, it's missing. To this day, my childhood memory of family life, it's, it's, it's quite spotty, it's incomplete. The most I remember is when I was doing stuff on my own or with my cousins and, or, or just entertaining myself. Obviously, what I do remember most vividly is that sometime around my 10th birthday, my family crumbled. I remember shouting. I remember violence to, to a degree. I remember tears and confusion. I remember my mum saying to my dad, or my mother saying to my dad, your son needs a hug. And I remember a short hug, almost reluctantly given, before I was, I was put down back on the floor. And I remember the sad and resigned look on my mother's face as she left the house. I can see it right now, and the front door closed behind her. My... One seemingly connected family was now broken. It was shattered. It was in pieces. And so was my heart. Family time soon meant visits to courtrooms full of questions like, who do you want to live with? How can you ask a child like that, that question? How can you ask a child that question expect a considered answer? I wanted to remain... Where I grew up, I wanted to stay on that street. 
I want it to ride my bike. I want to play in that den. So initially, quite surprisingly, actually, I ended up staying with my dad for a while. But then I realized quickly that my dad wasn't all that I'd never expected him to be. And I say never on purpose. Because it became apparent as it was just us living together, that, and as I grew up very quickly in maturity and, and even more self-reliance, that I never really knew him at all. Memories come to me of him walking 10 foot, 20 foot ahead of, of the family whenever we went anywhere, like walking down Rothwell town or you know, town centre. My mother always left to deal with the three kids and our wants and our needs and our moans and our whinges. Just walking on ahead. And as I lived with him, briefly with my sister, my eldest sister, because I've got two older sisters, as I just said, choosing immediately to save my mum. Maybe, maybe she knew something I didn't. You know, maybe that, that four-year age gap meant that she realised things that I, as a young child, didn't know. I soon saw how my dad struggled with everyday stuff. Work was really hard for him. Managing a household was hard for him. Parenting children on his own was hard for him. And as time went on, I eventually went on to live with my mother and, and John, who became my, my stepdad. And family life changed again. First it changed with the separation and the divorce, and then it changed as I left my dad. Soon family wasn't spending too much time on my own. Actually, family wasn't trying to, to get by one wage in a council house anymore. Family with my new dad uh, became a large house. It became holidays uh, abroad, good memories with new friends, experiencing new places. And my, my mother and my stepdad really worked hard with multiple successful businesses, but they enjoyed life too. There were moments when my stepdad probably struggled to cope with having three children suddenly thrust into his life, and it sometimes responded in ways that wasn't so positive. But on the whole, things were looking up. And even, my relationship, even as my relationship with my dad became distant, to eventually non-existent. Those good times didn't last, though. The new family unit, we stayed together, but then money issues and bankruptcy reared their ugly heads. Holidays stopped, stresses grew, and we swapped houses once again from private back to council house. No natural dad, so I didn't have any relationship with him by then and haven't since. Money was tight. We're living in a place that I certainly wouldn't have chosen. Hanging out with some people I'd rather have not. Making decisions that were not the best and actually quite fortunate not to go down a path of self-destruction. Ultimately, though, despite all that life might have been tough, it, it wasn't all bad. Like in any family, we have moments of joy and times of sadness in different measurements. And that's how my life stayed until I became an adult and left home. And, and, and that's what became normal for family to me throughout the remainder of my childhood. I can stand here and I can say that looking at my childhood, it wasn't the best. But neither was it the worst. The big problem, particularly in my generation, that broken homes gradually became the norm. Even possibly expected. 
my generation witnessing, I think, for the first time, a wholesale change on how we regard marriage and its value to society. A generation possibly with a painful view about what family is. And maybe that's why we see so many of my generation choosing not to marry. Not wanting to tie themselves up in such a deep, binding, emotional connection. And so actually set an example for the generations that have come after us about how we, in quotes, do family in the 21st century. But my teaching today, my sermon today, it isn't about marriage. The, the, what, what I want to get across today is the value, the necessity, and the absolute importance of church and how we should view family within that context. Actually, within the context that heaven is a family and that the church should reflect that heavenly culture. A family, actually, that despite its flaws and faults, we are a family made up of imperfect people, after all, wants the absolute best for one another. A family that isn't afraid afraid to tackle any issues that arise amongst us so that we can help each other become the best versions of ourselves. A family that actually celebrates difference rather than expecting everyone to be the same. The bottom line is that church is a family that loves God and isn't afraid to love one another with the same passion and desire and commitment to one another as he does us, his children. As I mentioned last week, I believe that God, uh, sorry, I believe that church is God's preferred vehicle to advance the kingdom. Probably at times in the past, the universal church, the big church, hasn't been very good at working out this out in the best way. Hasn't looked very familial. An example is during the Crusades around the 12th century. We've got a little bit way back, but here's a, it's an important point in our kind of family history, as it were. If you've got the Crusade, the kingdom of God was viewed as a political power. So the church tried to force that to happen in kind on earth. In the process, killing lots of people, taking over lots of land. And, and they thought that's how the kingdom would come. In recent times... The church might be viewing the kingdom of God as something that is a supernatural reality. Our aim to bring heaven to earth so that we see miracles, healing, salvations and whatnot. And that's a view of the kingdom I can agree with. But we must never forget that the kingdom of God is also family. In scripture, we're told that we are part of a family called the household of faith. That's in Galatians 6 verse 10. Actually, while you're there, while you're in your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Timothy 5. 1 Timothy 5. Just going to read verse 1 and 2 together. So 1 Timothy 5, verse 1 and 2. Because you've all brought your Bibles, haven't you? Yeah. Or your Bible apps. It's important to bring your Bible to church. Listen to my preach from a few weeks ago. So 1 Timothy 5, verse 1 to 2. I'm going to read from the Amplified Version, so it'll be longer than yours. Do not sharply reprimand an older man, but appeal to him as you would to a father, to younger men as brothers, to older women as sisters, in all purity, being careful to maintain appropriate relationships. Now, here's why I find that interesting. This is Paul talking to his spiritual son, Timothy. It's not actually the words that are used, or rather it's not the... Yeah, it's not what he's saying about the word. It's actually, it's actually the context that Paul is using. 
He's using the language of family, isn't he? Let's read it again if you want to. Have a little look. He's using the language of family. He's doing it very carefully and very deliberately. And he's saying with that, he's saying every person within the church is to be viewed as someone who is part of a family. That's amazing. There's a, a quote from Dr. Jonathan Welton from a book, New Covenant Leaders. It's again, same guy who's wrote Equipping the Equippers book, which I think is still available over there. And he says this, the way we view the kingdom of God will determine how we operate within it. In other words, if we view the kingdom of God as something as only organizational, then as the church, we'll act very differently than if we viewed it as a family. Yeah? However, this doesn't mean that we don't organize. So let me quote from the wonderful Kathy Kelly from a few weeks ago when she was teaching at Hope College, and she said this, the church isn't an organization, but it is a family that needs organizing. I repeat that because that's so important for you to understand. The church isn't an organization, but it is a family that needs organizing. So if the church, as a church, we're wanting to reflect, advance and reflect the kingdom, is if it's a family, then that means we need mothers and fathers to help lead it and organize it. We, we, need, we need brothers willing to be an example to brothers and show the right way in thinking and, and how to act. Sisters, the same. Willing to show what it means to be a powerful woman, but one that can still show love and care. Aunties and uncles ready to step in for tired mums and dads, both naturally and in the spirit, as we care for the family, both naturally and spiritually adopted. Every generation, that's every generation, working together for the good of the whole, to see God's kingdom come and for the church to do its part in bringing nearer the return of King Jesus. Yeah. Romans 12, verses 10 to 13, says this. Romans 12, 10 to 13. Be devoted to one another with authentic brotherly affection as members as one family. Give preference to one another in honour, never lagging behind in diligence, a glow in the spirit. I love that. A glow in the spirit. Enthusiastically serving the Lord. Constantly rejoicing in hope because of our confidence in Christ. Steadfast and patient in distress. Devoted to prayer. Continually seeking wisdom, guidance and strength. Contributing to the needs of God's people. Pursuing the practice of hospitality. Are we, are we, especially as a local church family, willing to serve one another? Are we willing to walk out the example that Jesus set at the Last Supper, washing one another's feet, both metaphorically and even literally? In other words, are we choosing to love with an open and affectionate heart that's willing to be vulnerable and transparent? Creating and maintaining a heavenly familial culture within the church is so important in helping us learn how to love in a way that creates a space for mistakes without condemnation and a space that encourages and rewards success. When we come together as the local church, we should have an atmosphere that's more like a family reunion than a corporate meeting. 
That's probably worth repeating again, isn't it? We should have an atmosphere that's more like a family reunion than a corporate meeting. Hey, listen, did you know that back in biblical times, such as when Paul and Timothy were alive, it was normal for them to greet each other with a holy kiss? Did you know that? That means an actual kiss. It's not a metaphorical kiss, an actual kiss. They called it a holy kiss. Brothers in faith meeting one another. In fact, affection for one another was shown so much more demonstrably than it is today. So I acknowledge that maybe a holy kiss is a little bit too much right now. I get that. But there does exist, I think, a huge chasm between what we see in our British culture and in our churches than what we see in Scripture when it comes to showing authentic emotion, love and care. To be a church that is also family, we need to side with the biblical example regardless of the culture outside the church. What was it about? I'm going to ask this question, actually. What was it about this first century church culture that enabled them to be so open with, with their affections and to even greet each other with a holy kiss? What was it? What, what, what made them that way? Well, a possible answer is, is, is this. It's, it's that the early church lived under tremendous persecution. So when people gathered together, it was quite legitimate to think that that might be the very last time that they saw one another. And so because of that, affection... Vulnerability, transparency, was a priority. Now, <clears throat> kind of hurts to bring this up, but when Andrea Town, whom a lot of us knew and cared for and loved, when, when she was living in her last days, there was no way I was withholding affection. In that final week... Myself and Kathy, we visited her a number of times and we, we held a hand. We, we talked lovingly to her and, and about her and, and we kissed her on our goodbyes. The very real and present reality changed how we were towards her. Not that we weren't loving and caring before, but our affection multiplied as we realised they were her final moments on earth but I do look forward to the day when I see her again. And I will. And you will. I think that for some of us, maybe even most of us, it's only when we get to those kind of moments do we really show how we feel. Maybe it's because we get too comfortable with one another. Too, too blasé. Too used to seeing each other that we forget we still need to show how much we care for one another. Maybe our motivation for connecting at a deeper level fades as the years move on. Maybe our church has become more like a club than a family. Until those moments when we realise we really need our sister, our aunt, our cousin, our brother, our uncle, and importantly, our mum and dad. Maybe that's how you feel. Today, I'm encouraging us to view Freedom Church there's so much more than that. And that we don't need any external pressures to push us together as a family that genuinely cares. We read in John verses 25 to 27 how much Jesus cared about his mum. We also read about how much he cared about his disciples, who were so much more to him than just that. They were family. In fact, let me read that bit of scripture. 
standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister Salome, Salome, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. So Jesus, seeing his mother and the disciple whom he loved, esteemed, standing near, said to his mother, Dear woman, look, here is your son. And then he said to the disciple John, Look, here is your, here is your mother. Protect and provide, provide for her. And from that hour, from that hour, the disciple welcomed her into his home. Didn't wait around a little bit, didn't consider other options, didn't think about how they best might work it out. He just went, she's my mother, come to my home. Be in my home. This is now your home. And I speak on behalf of Kathy and myself. And when we say that as leaders and elders of this church, we want to be and hope that we have been to the best of our ability and experience loving parents. Not only to our kids, but to you. We, we want to honour you. We want to lift you up, equip you, and even if it really comes to it, wash your feet. I started today's sermon from a really vulnerable point. In fact, when I wrote it, I cried rather unexpectedly. And when you're in Starbucks, that looks a bit weird. <laughs> Those emotions, they, they, they were rising from somewhere. Somewhere deep down. But I shared my story because I want to be an example of transparency to you. I want to, you to be an encouragement so that you're all free to allow your real selves to come to the surface. Let's learn together as a church family how to embrace. And I'm going to do something at the end about embracing. But let's learn how to embrace. Let's love and value people so much that we and others that are yet to be a part of us truly feel valued and loved. That we feel like sons and daughters who belong to a family. People who know who we are in God and how we fit together. There is huge potential in that. If you think about the obvious, God relates to us as a father and Christ relates to him as a son. And then he relates as our brother amongst many other things. Through his Holy Spirit, we are enabled to make this family reality a daily experience. Let me read this final verse, Matthew 12, verses 46 to 50. While he was still talking to the crowds, it happened that his, mother's and his mother and brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. And someone said to him, this is Jesus, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside to speak to you. But Jesus replied to the one who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples and all his other followers, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father who is in heaven by believing in me and following me is my brother and sister and mother. I think family is a foundational reality that the church needs to inhabit before we can experience true unity.
We need to identify with those who are our spiritual family across many different expressions of church. Let me quote from Dr. Jonathan Welton again from the same book. He says, so many people talk about unity, but they haven't figured out family. If we haven't figured out family in the church context, then what does that create? Creates unity, it's what I think, it creates unity based purely on doctrinal agreements at our citywide pastors' meetings. Maybe it's people attending meetings to show their face and are actually quite begrudgingly meeting together. They might not even like the people they're meeting with. If we want to see revival in our city, and when I say revival, I'm actually, by another book that Jonathan has done, I'm actually quite pushed to, to maybe stop using the word revival because revival just speaks about a normal Christian life. Revival is not a word used in scripture. The normal Christian life is to, is to be one of revival, if I have to use it. So if we want to see a normal Christian life, not an average one, but some people are here and some people are a normal Christian life, then we, and in our nation, so in our city and our nation, we need to understand and experience what family means in the context of church. Unity starts with living like family. Loving and valuing people so much that we stop fearing difference and we embrace, and there's that word again, embrace diversity. I'm going to end with this and then I'm going to do something. There's an Old Testament prophet called Habakkuk. Guess what his name means? Embrace. Maybe we need more prophets who lead the way in affection and aren't afraid to hug. Could a hug leaders into unity and revival? In this house, we are real. But we also make mistakes. And when we do, we make sure we say sorry. We give second chances to anyone. And we also have lots of fun. In this house, we definitely forgive. We also do loud. We give the best hugs. We are family. And in this house, that means we, we love. love.